Morning, y'all. I'm Katie Kamen, and it's Tuesday, January 23rd. On this date in 1845, Congress set the day all national elections would be held. They picked the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November. On this date in 1962, Jackie Robinson was elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame. It was his very first year of eligibility. And here's your morning trivia question. On this date in 1976, a first variety show hosted by a brother and sister team made its debut. Can you name those siblings? I'll tell you in just a couple of minutes, but first, let's have a check in on that Tuesday forecast. And good Tuesday morning. I'm meteorologist Joey Sovine. Yesterday morning in the 20s, this morning, 40s and 50s. As you head outside, there will be a lot of clouds today, and we can't roll out a couple of spotty showers. So take the umbrellas with you. We'll be in the 60s at lunchtime, mid to upper 60s. I'll be a cloudy with the 60s, so that may make it feel just a little bit cooler. May want to hang on to a light jacket through the afternoon. 72 tomorrow, still dodging a couple of raindrops. Looks Fairly dry on Thursday, then the rain chance goes up on Friday. Will be a decent chance of some scattered showers Saturday, but that may hold off until very late in the day, leaving us with most of Saturday dry at 75. And then Sunday, the rain chance finally goes away with highs in the 60s. You're listening to Morning Y'all, your local headlines and first alert weather forecast, powered by the Low Country's news leader, Life 5 News. Now, let's get to your morning headlines. We now know the name of the suspect involved in an officer-involved shooting in West Ashley. The state law enforcement division tells us that 42-year-old Christopher Hampton, the man right here on your screen, is charged with attempted murder and a weapons charge. He's being held at the Charleston County Jail without bond. This all happened around 7 p.m. Sunday when the Charleston Police Department was called out to Old Town Road for reports of a suspicious person at the Walgreens there. That's where officers found Hampton, who ran away and was chased by Officer Taylor Schwartz. Officials say Hampton dropped a gun and stopped to pick it up, and that's when Schwartz shot him in the shoulder before Hampton shot back. CPD says it is standard protocol for the state law enforcement division to investigate officer-involved shootings to avoid a conflict of interest. Officer Schwartz has also been placed on paid leave. That's also part of department protocol. SLED says this was already the third officer-involved shooting in South Carolina. So far this year, it was the first one involving Charleston police. 300 acres of the old St. George Country Club property could soon become a neighborhood full of new houses. Melissa Rademacher explains the details behind the proposal Dorchester County Council is considering. The zoning ask is to take the lot size from one acre to one third acre. Dorchester County is taking the process slowly and seriously, considering the amount of land. Planning Committee Chair Dave Chinnis says he's introduced info meetings with the Planning Committee ahead of proposals to Council to iron out details early. After the info meeting, he's learned that the developer plans to create pocket parks, leaving the old golf course as open space. Chinnis says during the info session, he also asked lots of questions about open space accessibility and the research that will be done on traffic and drainage. This info session is before three council readings and a public hearing. The public gets to input everything. Sometimes there's reasonable concerns. Sometimes there's concerns that, as I stated earlier, a property owner has certain rights, just like the person speaking has rights on their property, that property owner has rights on what they can and can't do to their property. And that's kind of, balancing that is always the challenge. 
A public hearing about the 300 acres proposed rezone of the old St. George Country Club land will be in the St. George County Council Chambers, and the date will be published 15 days in advance. In Dorchester County, Melissa Rademacher, Live 5 News. MUSC is sharing an update on its free diabetes prevention program, and it's known as the Wade Program, and it offers a multifaceted approach to health improvement. They got a special grant, and this all allowed Fetter and MUSC to team up and kickstart this program. Live Five's Destiny Kennedy joins us live in West Ashley. So, Destiny, tell us more about the new additions to this program. Good morning. Katie Shelby, some new additions include produce boxes to improve community nutrition and free access to health education outside of the program. The Wade program's main objective is diabetes prevention, but they also welcome those already dealing with diabetes. So far, the program has 122 patients enrolled. 31 of those patients have type 2 diabetes, one has type 1 diabetes, and the rest are either pre-diabetic or at risk. The free program offers a multifaceted approach to health improvement. Participants can engage in virtual educational group classes with a certified health coach, attend cooking sessions focused on weight management, and receive personalized one-on-one visits with a nurse practitioner. Originally, when the Wade program began, participants had to be overweight or have a family history of diabetes. The requirements are you must be a woman in 18 years or older to join. Leah Hopkins is a nurse practitioner at M. USC and explains why the program is exclusive to women. Women are at higher risk of diabetes-related complications, um, and diabetes also increases the risk of heart disease about four times in women, but only about two times in men. Um, Also, women are at risk for pregnancy um, complications when they have diabetes, and that was another focus of our project. Hopkins encourages more women to join the program and make the lifestyle change. Reporting live in West Ashley, Destiny Kennedy, Live 5 News. Thank you, Destiny. Two agencies are using artificial intelligence technology to keep roads safer in the low country, but in a few different ways. The North Charleston Police Department says it has 31 AI traffic cameras through a company called Recourse Systems. Now, they're used to monitor crime by inputting license plate numbers from stolen or wanted vehicles, but also for silver and amber alerts. The State Department of Transportation also uses the tech, but to collect data for planning construction, road maintenance, and more, which can be beneficial to drivers annoyed by poor road conditions. Anyone who's driven down 95, as soon as you hit South Carolina roads, as soon as you get from North Carolina, you understand how bad our roads are here. And so if we can have more of that predictive analysis to understand, okay, what kind of vehicles should or shouldn't be driving on these roads, what kind of roads are probably going to wear down faster over time. While the state does not use it right now, the tech is also capable of monitoring greenhouse gas emissions and tracking tourism. This just into our first alert desk. A fire has destroyed two homes in the Cottageville area in an early morning blaze. Colleton County Fire Rescue responded to this fire around midnight yesterday morning on Michelle Lane. Fire teams struggled to get to the location, but when they did, they found two mobile homes fully engulfed. The roof on one of them had already collapsed and flames had spread to the surrounding woods. Now, firefighters, they were able to contain that fire over the course of about three hours and prevented it from spreading to another home. We're told that the homes were both unoccupied and that no one was injured. As the latest here from our first alert desk. 
Thanks, Nick. Some powerful pictures there. Well, today's the day. The New Hampshire primaries are here, and we have one last look at the race on the Republican side of the aisle. The race is down to two candidates, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley and former President Donald Trump. Today will mark a turning point in Haley's battle against Trump or the beginning of the end of her campaign. Political experts say a strong turnout by independent voters today could make all the difference for Haley. State officials are expecting a record turnout by Republicans today. Meanwhile, the Democratic primary will be lacking a notable name today. President Joe Biden is being left off of the ballot because New Hampshire's early primary date violates the Democratic National Convention's calendar. But that won't stop him from getting votes. State leaders held a write-in Biden event ahead of today's primary. That was to encourage state Democrats to back the president's re-election bid. The write-in effort has no affiliation with Biden's campaign, but does plan to have volunteers stationed at polling stations places around the state today. Former President Donald Trump is getting another boost of support from the Palmetto State. Yesterday, Representative Nancy Mace endorsed Trump. Although Mace says she doesn't see eye to eye with any candidate, she's backing Trump because she says she believes the country was in better shape when he was in office. The move is a snub to Nikki Haley, who previously supported Mace in her 2022 primary. Comes after South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, Governor Henry McMaster and multiple other state leaders endorsed Trump over the weekend. The Massachusetts State Ballot Law Commission is dismissing a challenge against former President Trump's candidacy. Yesterday, the panel rejected the case on procedural grounds, saying the commission does not have the jurisdiction to address the matter. Massachusetts is just one state where Trump's candidacy is being challenged based on the 14th Amendment's insurrectionist ban, citing Trump's involvement in the January 6th riot. The decision can be appealed, but it's likely the state follows the decision the U.S. Supreme Court will make in a similar case in Colorado. After months of the district being without a permanent superintendent, the Charleston County School Board made a big decision last night. The board met for hours and then offered Deputy Superintendent Anita Huggins a permanent role in the district. Our Emily Johnson was at last night's meeting and brings us a recap of how the board came to this decision. The vote passed 5-4 to four on Moms for Liberty-backed board members, but that passing of the vote was surrounded by intense debate among all of the board members, with half of the board members against the decision saying that they were completely blindsided by the suggestion. It's also important to note that since executive session had been moved so far down the agenda, no members of the public were still here when the board made its decision at 10.30 last night. The board approved Huggins into the role without a superintendent search occurring, which is traditionally how these candidates are chosen. Huggins was placed into the role at the end of October after Dr. Eric Gallion resigned after months of controversy surrounding his position. Members for Huggins hiring said the best job training is being in the role, which Huggins has done for the last few months. But members against that decision stressed how they still support Huggins in this role, just not the way that the process was conducted. I believe that Ms. Huggins has done an extremely good role in her position as deputy superintendent over the last period of time. I think she's more than qualified. I think this district really needs stability. This is another evidence that this is an unstable board and that will do anything and everything that is out of line with what would be ethical and fair practices. 
Board members have asked Huggins to deny this role until a search for the superintendent can be properly conducted. She has not officially accepted the role, and there's no word on when the contract will begin, but a three-year contract was proposed by the board. Reporting in Charleston, Emily Johnson, Life 5 News. The State Department of Education is now accepting applications for a new program to help certain families send their children to private schools. The Education Scholarship Trust Fund, also known as ESAS, or the school's voucher program, is the largest expansion of school choice in South Carolina history. It awards $6,000 scholarships to up to 5,000 qualifying students for use on private school tuition and related costs. But the program's future will soon be in the hands of the state Supreme Court, as many are challenging it since it's funded with tax dollars. We still think it's right. I mean, we think it's a violation of the Constitution, and I think at some point you have to stand up for what you, what you believe is right. Our Constitution is very clear that says you should not um, allocate our public tax dollars to private or religious schools. The state Supreme Court will hear arguments in this case in early March. If it's upheld, scholarships can be used starting next school year. The Orangeburg County School District is planning its first ever international festival in honor of International Educators Day. Aside from teachers, the district has more than 370 students who are considered multilingual learners from 16 different countries. So this will really be a celebration of cultures represented throughout the district. And Autumn Klein joins us now to tell us about the goals that the school district has for this event and what it means for one coordinator. Good morning, Autumn. Good morning, Shelby and Katie. This festival is designed as a family engagement event that will allow students and their families the opportunities to explore and learn about other countries and cultures. Each person in attendance will receive a passport that will guide them through different stations representing different countries. At each station, there will be information about the country, cultural artifacts, and an opportunity to engage with international educators from that country. There are over 150 educators in the district from 12 different countries. The countries represented are India, Jamaica, the Philippines, Mexico, Colombia, Costa Rica, Venezuela, Romania, and several African countries, including Kenya and South Africa. After students and their families go through each country's station, there will be a cultural program in the gymnasium. There will be a parade of nations, traditional flags and outfits, as well as traditional dances from places like India, Mexico, and Africa. The final part of the event is the International Food Court. Each attendee will get to try cuisines from Mexico, the Caribbean, the Philippines, Thailand, and Greece. I spoke with the coordinator of this event, who is from the Philippines, and said that when she had the opportunity to come to America and teach, it meant everything to her. So recognizing these teachers is a very special thing to do. To have, to have been given the opportunity to do that and impact students and, and to teach, which is the best job in the world, and to know that I was making a difference in my little way. So to me, it's, you know, it's a rewarding, rewarding experience for, for our district to recognize that for all our teachers. The event will be held Thursday at Orangeburg Wilkinson High School. It begins at 4.45 p.m. and is open to the public, and they now plan to make this an annual event. For Live 5 News, I'm Autumn Klein. At the top of the show, I mentioned the first variety show hosted by a brother and sister premiered on this date in 1976. Did you guess the siblings? They're none other than Donnie and Marie Osmond. 
Celebrating birthdays this Tuesday, TV's original MacGyver, Richard Dean Anderson, is 74. Singer Anita Baker is 66. And CBS Evening News anchor Nora O'Donnell turns 50. Thanks so much for joining us for Morning Y'all from Live 5 News. I'm Katie Kamen. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Morning Y'all is produced every weekday morning. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and download the Live 5 News app for your mobile device. Get the latest news and weather updates 24-7 from Live 5 News, the Low Country's news leader.